WTF Sharp is event sourcing. Welcome back to WTF Sharp, a podcast about the F Sharp programming language and the ecosystem around it. My name is Tashu Cork, and I'll be joined today by guest Roman Sashki to discuss event sourcing and its related topics. Event sourcing is an architectural pattern of treating domain events as not only first-class citizens in your source code, but treating these events as the source of truth in your application's data, rather than relying on it just a traditional database, such as Postgres or SQL Server as the source of truth. This pattern allows you to easily project multiple read models and answer tough business questions years into when the project has been collecting data. In this episode, we'll cover what event sourcing is at a high level, what its benefits are, and how an F-Sharp developer can take advantage of this pattern in their applications. My guest Roman has given several talks on event sourcing and has further created a series of YouTube videos entitled Event Sourcing Do-It-Yourself, which I'd highly recommend checking out after listening to this episode. I had the pleasure of meeting Roman at uh, F-Sharp Exchange, which is a yearly conference held in London. And uh, I'm realizing now, Roman, I might have been mispronouncing your last name. Is it pronounced Sashki? Oh, no. I pronounce it Zaxa. Zaxa. Yeah. Uh, you can pronounce it English. It's sexy then, but better go with Zaxa. <laughs> Zaxa. I would have never expected that. Cool. Well, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm good. doing really uh, good, actually. Good. And where are you at? I'm in my... <laughs> no, actually, I'm in my bed because I'm still recovering from my hip surgery. Mm. So... Um, Still lying here, trying to get rid of the crutches now at the moment, and it's pretty hard to hear in Germany at the moment. Um, yeah, but it's getting all better, and so I'm pretty good, actually. Cool. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, both as it relates to programming and as it doesn't, and then we'll kind of get into how you got in F-Sharp? Yes, for sure. So I'm 38 now, and I didn't really touch programming until I was about 20, so actually, the worst worst grade I ever got in school was in, in like computer science, <laughs> because I really <laughs> didn't get it. And um, then at some point, we just decided, oh, well, let's start a company. It was kind of a flirt portal, something like this. And then we all like three people. Oh, just no some friends of yours? Yeah, and we had no okay. clue about anything. So our unique selling point was like a sticker that people can put on their car <laughs> and find <laughs> It was 2000, you know, it was like the dot-com stuff and everything. And so we had no clue. And um, we, we were pretty much we were pretty close to get some venture capital. And then we didn't because, you know, the bubble burst, uh, burst and everything. And I'm, in hindsight, I'm pretty happy about it we, because we were completely clueless. And then we said, ah, oh, man, just screw it. We're doing it on our own. And, and then we're like, okay, man. You are doing 100% PHP, you are doing 50% PHP and 50% Photoshop, and you are doing 50, uh, 100% Photoshop, and like this was c- completely random. Wow. And I was was like, it like a web design kind of studio? Yeah, yeah, something okay. like this. And so I was, because my friend was like, I have this book here, it's, it's called PHP 4 for, <laughs> for professionals, and it can do everything we want. You can send emails, you can even have tables. It's, it's so awesome, we just need to do this. And then it's so easy, we do this on our own. Yeah. And so I just learned PHP. And um, yeah, from there on, um, actually, I got this company for 16 years. Um, wow. my whole um, university, I studied cognitive science, um, did a bachelor's in there, and then later on, I did a bachelor's in computer science to actually have some theoretical background. Um, yes, and the company was all right, and we had, we had a pretty nice thing in the end, and um, 
but then I got twins. And yeah, and they're four and a half or so now. Yeah, they they they're like five next Thursday. Okay. So, um, and we have no family around here, and I was always like thinking because my wife needed to do her teacher's pract- uh, practice, which is pretty stressful, and and how do we do it? And then suddenly, out of nowhere, there came a job offer which is less time, more money, more freedom for myself and mm-hmm. you know, not being on my own all the time. So I completely ditched my company after 16 years, and uh, which was the best decision ever for me. <laughs> so because I was mainly doing PHP and, and a bit of JavaScript, and, and like just in the last year, um, I, was, I was more into Elm and, and trying to get started with um, functional programming in the last year of my company. And... And then I started all this domain-driven design stuff, attended a workshop of Matthias Veras, who is pretty well known in this area in Berlin. And from there on, it just, I don't know, blew up for me. So I got to know a lot of people, and this is where the job offer also came from. A good friend of mine now um, just took me to his company, and um, I was doing a lot of domain-driven design and, and event sourcing, also bringing event sourcing then in my old company. They're still using it there now in PHP. And yeah, and hmm. from there on, I was seven years Windows free, only Linux, <laughs> <laughs> and I went to a very, yeah, just a .NET shop, all on Windows. Yeah, <laughs> Everything, that's a transition, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was the first six months I was completely, it's like the doorknobs, everything is, you know it, but it <laughs> goes in the wrong direction, you know? It's it's like you, you could be completely stuck and... and for me, it was like everything is command line. And then suddenly, how do I upgrade my .NET framework? Well, just mm. upgrade Visual Studio. It's not a problem. Just upgrade your IDE. And, and for me, this was completely strange. And But the good thing was it's, um, it like introduced me to F-Sharp. It's, it's more than two years now. Um, introduced me to F-Sharp. Still, the legacy app is 99% C-Sharp, but we're trying to do everything new in F-Sharp there. <coughs> And from there on, it just went like this. So I, I always had the, the plan um, to, to be at a conference and give a talk about some topic and, and just do it in the next three years. And like three months later, I did it um, on Elmish and event sourcing. It was this domain-driven UI mm-hmm. talk that, I, that you were also um, talking about. I gave this at another conference in Germany. And... Yeah, from there on, it was for me basically all F-sharp, functional programming, Elmish. So we are trying to do all the new stuff. So the backend anyway in F-sharp, all the, the business logic and everything in F-sharp. But we're also trying to, to do all the new stuff in, in Elmish and um, hmm. F-sharp and Fable. And it's an old WPF WinForms application. And we have something like Sharp. it's called. So it's a Chromium based thing that you can just run like a tab or a window within your WPF application. So we have now this Elmish stuff running in our 15-year-old legacy C-sharp application and trying to bring everything into the web step-by-step. So this is basically um, where I left um, or where we we are going and and what I'm doing at the moment. Very cool. And how many F-sharp developers would you say are at that company there? Oh, we are very small. It's it's a okay. very small company. The team is, um, it's like it's now four developers, 
and um, I'd say three of us are doing F Sharp. Cool, very cool. Yeah. All right. So, so you've been doing F Sharp for a while. You kind of got into it, transitioning while transitioning into C Sharp. Kind of, you kind of picked up both at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, and I'm 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 always trying to avoid. Uh, C sharp whenever I can. So I never, I can, I can write it. And you know, doing PHP and and other languages for so long, C sharp is not that big of a deal. It's still pretty different, and mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 similar, you know, these yeah. kind of languages. Um, but so I'm trying to do as much uh, F sharp as possible. And now that I'm like more in the in a role of a team lead and doing some more organizing stuff and and all this. Um, yeah, I'm programming less, so I'm trying to do most of my coding stuff in in F Sharp whenever I can. Okay. And where did you learn F Sharp? And if you learned it at the same time as C Sharp, how did you learn .NET? Because I, I feel like one of the on-ramps to learning F Sharp is just kind of getting over that .NET hurdle. Yes, it still is for me, actually. So mm-hmm. if you, if you um, have a look at my old Twitter tweets, I'm complaining a lot about this because <laughs> like every each and every tutorial just ex- expects that you know C sharp. Right. So um and and it's like even Scott so Scott Flush in um F sharp for fun and profit stuff says something like, Okay, now we're talking about async and asynchronous programming and yeah, it's just the usual suspects that you know from C sharp and no, I don't know. <laughs> and and especially coming from something like PHP, which is completely uh, completely yeah. shared nothing and we don't ha- really have threads in there. It's it's coming now and getting some asynchronous stuff and coroutines and all this, but it's not really a thread based language, not at all. So this is this was really, really, really hard for me. And hmm. um and all the books and, and nothing really um, just explains .NET from a from an F sharp perspective. Even like um, Isaac Abrams' book about F sharp, um, mm-hmm. which is awesome, I think. But it's still, I mean, he says this to be fair. But but yep. all of those books are like, we expect you to know C sharp. So and and if I want to do anything, I don't know. And look in Stack Overflow, I always have to you know look for C sharp and then translate in your head and and hope that it works. So. Yeah, that's true. So, do you still keep in touch with the PHP world, or are you just totally kind of converted to .NET now? No, I, I mean, I didn't like unfollow all the people yeah, yeah, from back kinda... from from the day. So, um, <clears throat> it's still pretty much. Uh, I still follow it, but I and then I still um, sometimes work for my old company, like consult them a bit, help them mm-hmm. because ninety nine percent of the stuff they're using is still my brainchild. So I, I need <laughs> to help them from time, from time to time. And so, but it's not, I, I see that it's, I mean, PHP was, it was always like looked at and, and looked down at and, and, you know, all the people were make, making fun of it, but it, it changed dramatically, I think, in the last mm. uh, five years, maybe, or 10 years. And it got, it had one. Of, it has one of the best package managers out there, I think, and it has an awesome ecosystem. Hmm. Nothing compared, in my opinion, to .NET, where everything is so Microsoft-centric. Hmm. Um, it's so diverse, and and it's really great. And they're doing a lot of stuff doing there, but I feel that I'm losing touch, of course, because if you're just not really interested in it, like intrinsic, and not working in it, then yeah. 
slowly I'm losing touch, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I find it's, it's difficult. Even now, I've been doing F-sharp professionally for a bit over a year, and I, I find it difficult to keep in touch with C-sharp, which it, yeah. it, it, it seems like that doesn't quite make sense because they're they're basically like cousins. They're in the same kind of yeah. you know, I.O. or ecosystem. But I know I have trouble. There, there seems to be this divide between the F-sharp world and the C-sharp world, both in terms of NuGet packages and in yeah. terms of... Uh, you know, language features and just community in general. So I, yeah, I was just curious, kind of transitioning from PHP. It's kind of even bigger leap there. Um, but yeah, Twitter helps to kind of keep and stay in touch, right? Yeah, definitely. And and now it's a bit late for me, but I, for me, it was like one of the biggest <laughs> changes was like I was doing just IntelliJ, so PHP Storm forever, mm. because it's basically the best and only really good editor for PHP, like or IDE, not editor. You can use like whatever you want, but mm-hmm. like awesome IDE. And then I just went to to this .NET world, and there was only Visual Studio, you know. And now with Rider and and right. so it's it's much nicer. And VS Code or Ionite for for F Sharp, it's awesome. But we can't really use this because our solution, our C Sharp or legacy solution, is like. 200 projects in there <laughs> and most of them c-sharp a lot of them f-sharp some very old and you know and and so you can't really use vs code for for this interop thing and now that rider is coming it's it's like heaven sent um but i wish this was like two years ago so i, I came directly into when this whole net core transition started mm. so it was really Extra confusing yeah Really, and and also Fable. We I started when it was 0.7, I think, <laughs> and then there were the big changes, and everything was like yeah, completely um, changing all the time. So without Maxime on on Maxime Mangel on on Gitter, this would have been impossible for us and for me. So yeah, he was awesome and good help in there. Very cool. All right, so today we're talking about CQRS and event sourcing. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I saw your talk at uh, F-Sharp Exchange, and I've also seen, and actually last night I watched a few of your event sourcing DIY videos. Mm-hmm. Um, could you give a very high-level introduction to what event sourcing and CQRS is? I'm not sure what order you kind of want to introduce those in. Okay, then we start with the um, CQRS branch <laughs> um, and, and go with CQRS maybe. So CQRS... All these abbreviations are a bit, yeah, strange sometimes and a bit of a mouthful. So, so CQRS means command and query segregation. And what it basically means that, especially in an object-oriented language, is that we want to have separate methods in an object for our queries and for our commands. So what this means actually is a query is something that just gets the state, so basically getter versus setter, but don't really talk about this, want to talk about this. So it's a query just asks for something. Mm-hmm. And the most important part there is that, that a command changes something. So it changes some internal state. It, it has some probably some side effects. And the idea in this command and query segregation is that um, the methods that doing this are separated. So query, if you ask for something, is never actually changing the state of my system or even of my object. So it's, I, so, so it's basically that, that it's guaranteed, doesn't matter how often I ask, I, I won't change the outcome. 
So it's basically right. that that is idempotent if if you want to have this mathematical thing or it's 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 basically side effect free if if we're talking functional and f sharpy. Right. Yeah. To me, it's 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 simply recognizing the fact that if you were to build an API just organically, most of your endpoints would either be changing stuff. Yeah. So your database has some delta or requesting some stuff. I mean, the other day, data applications use, you know, UIs over databases. Yeah. And uh, I, I've had success using CQS and CQRS, which we'll talk about in a second, in a pure C-sharp solution where we just had endpoints that were either labeled something as query, in which we had uh, C-sharp classes that were called blah, 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 query, We'd have a query handler that would kind of mm. pick up on those things and resolve those queries. And we'd have a separate command handler that would handle all of that. Yeah. Um, and just that separation was kind of, um, I think that happens organically in, in a solution, but having it uh, be explicit and enforced kind of helps to scaffold your endpoints and scaffold your whole system and kind of think more clearly about what's happening. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of the building blocks of, of REST over HTTP as well. So mm -hmm. if if you have a GET call, I don't expect a GET to actually change my system. Mm -hmm. But if I have a POST or a PUT method or verb that I'm using to, to make my HTTP requests, I'm very well prepared that this can actually change my system. And, I, it, and it's most of the time. So it's not that bad if, if a POST is not actually changing anything. But if I expect not to change anything and I hit this endpoint like a hundred times and suddenly I have, I don't know, incremented something a hundred times, mm -hmm. this is quite uh, bad. If, if I don't forget, yeah. yeah. And from there, that's it basically. It's, it's a big name for a something, as you said, that comes naturally I think, or it it can come, and and it, it's it's good if you if you're actually using this in any kind of system, just to know, change. Do I change something now, or do I just ask for some information to change mm -hmm. this? And CQRS, it's command and query responsibility segregation. So it's the R in there, and this is basically taking CQS but putting it on a system level, so more on the architectural level. How my um, how my whole system is built. And what this means is not, like you said, I have different endpoints. This is also system level, you know. I have different endpoints for my API. It is more the the idea to differentiate between writing to my system and reading from my system. Mm. And I think this is something that that is not coming naturally to you. But for me, it was like once I started this, it felt really bad not to do it anymore because it helps tremendously. And so the idea basically is um, that you have different models for reading and for writing. What this means is normally we have just one model, one model for reading our data and for writing our data. When you're saying model, you're talking about some kind of type that we're typing against? Yeah, or more some kind of conceptual model of our data, a okay. data representation. So what is the basic model most of our normal applications have for representing our data? It's somehow encoded in a relational database. Mm -hmm. So this is what I mean. And if I'm going to write something, 
I want to have fast writes. If I want to read something, I want to have, of course, fast reads. But both of those conceptual things are, are actually or need to be optimized in a different way. And if you put them together in just one thing, it gets really hard. So what I mean by this is if you want to read your data and you have a relational database like Postgres, just use a real database, mm -hmm. Postgres here, so, and you have a table, the, the thing you actually want to do if you want to get some information for your system is actually to say select star from table and maybe order it. You know, just give mm -hmm. me all the information because it's just there in the way I need it. This is an ideal thing. You know, just, okay. yeah, just right. give it to me. It's it's there. And this is definitely yeah. the fastest thing. I don't want to do a hundred million joins. But what does this mean? It means if if it's in the same database it means that we get a lot of duplicate information because we have a lot of different use cases. So you're hinting at the fact that ideally, so if, if I were to optimize for absolute most performant reads and I were to get, let's say I'm trying to just display a table on a web page, which is, I don't mm -hmm. know, most of websites, right? Yeah, or if a basket, it, like in an e-commerce system. Like right, a, current, a, a um, cart in an e-commerce system. Yes. So the, yes. the fastest way to do that from the reader's perspective would to be have a database that is, um, I don't want to conflate the term normalized, but basically optimized for reads so that when yes. I'm saying get cart for this specific cart ID, yes. it would just have a table with yes. all those cart items totally denormalized for my yes. access. Yes. So that's that's basically yeah. one projection or one model of how my data yeah. could look like optimized for that, right? Yeah, definitely. And we could have all the the cards in there. So we can just say where customer equals blah, blah, blah. But I don't need to actually transform my data and I don't need to take some data from somewhere else. So this is what I actually wanted. But this is not possible because when I'm changing my system now, this information needs to be duplicated then for all the different use cases. So I have this cart with all the information in there. And then I have another page where, uh, where is just the information of a specific product in there. Mm -hmm. So both of those um, pages actually need information about a specific product, but maybe in a completely different way. And in, in this one way, in, the, in, in this one, in the, in the cart thing, maybe I want to show how long it's in the, basket, uh, in the cart, you know, how long mm. it's in there, when did I put it in there, and how did the price change. So this is a completely different information, but similar, but different just to if when I show the product on a product page. And now, if, if I want to have this ideal thing for reading, I, I have a big problem in writing because I need to know all the tables in which I have, want to write into, I, I need to duplicate the information that I'm going to put in there. This is not what I want, because if I'm changing now the name, for example, if, if we stick to this example, if I'm changing now the name of, of one item or one product, I need to change it in all of those tables. And I better not forget it, because otherwise my system is completely not in sync anymore. Mm -hmm. Even worse with addresses or customer information or something like this. So what we, are, what, what we want in the right side is actually not have duplicated information at all. And this is where the whole thing about normalized, like um, norm, first normal form, second normal form, third normal form, whatever, in mm -hmm. relational databases 
is coming from so that we can actually spread out the information and reference different parts of the information with um, with foreign keys and IDs and all this stuff so that I'm not duplicating all my data, so that I'm um, actually optimizing this for my rights. So whenever I change just one thing, then I'm changing it in the product table. And the, the information that is um, referencing to this does not have the name because it's not important for other parts of the information. Mm -hmm. But now we have optimized for writing, but we destroyed our whole optimization for reading, right? So now we start select um, item from the item table, left join on da-da-da-da-da, left join here, left join da, subquery here, you know, and, and this is getting slower and slower. We need to talk, uh, we need to think a lot about indices and all this stuff. And, and we really need to find a good balance between those two, not go in the fifth normal form, in the sixth normal form. <laughs> but, you know, all this, and, and we really need to think about this stuff. And CQRS tries to break this problem up and say, that's not a problem we have because let's just have different representations of our data within our system. And that's what I mean with different models. Let's just have a write model and a read model. So we have something that is optimized for writing, which is very fast and very nice for just this thing. And from there on, which with some kind of mechanism, update the or project into those read models, which can be like, you can have like 10 read models optimized for each use case. So one read model for the cart, one read model for the product page, one read model for my history and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. the, the, these read models are just taking the information out of the write model with some kind of mechanism. So this right. is the basic idea of CQRS. Right. So, so I'm going to try to regurgitate that to make, make sure I'm understanding. So yep. CQS is my su super simple endpoint level adjustment where you're saying we recognize the fact that endpoints are either getting data or setting or changing data. Yep. CQRS is a more architectural level change well where instead of keeping, of basically having one data store, let's just say, you know, a Postgres database where you have normalized tables, um, well, in those normalized tables, you would optimize for, um, well, basically, when people normalize, they're giving up on optimizing for reads. They're basically yeah. saying, hey, if I duplicate all this information over, uh, I'm going to have just way too much data. It's going to be unyieldy. It's going to be really awkward uh, to, mm -hmm. to write into all those different places every time I need to update data. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is it, instead of normalizing or instead of normalizing at the right level, what we do is we separate the commands, the things that are updating data and the reads. Mm -hmm. And we can basically have two different models or so two different structures or yeah. even potentially database tables yeah. um, to, to store this. So I could yeah. potentially have some kind of table that just holds deltas, that holds intents of change in our aggregate state and I could have a totally separate model that's synchronized once in a while. We'll call it the read model. Mm -hmm. That is going to be updated, uh, hopefully, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully, eventually consistent and whatever. But it's basically mm -hmm. normalized for my specific read case. And yeah. what's great about that idea, in my opinion, in my experience, is that the read model, you don't have to have just one. If, if you want, if you have a report 
kind of system, or let's say you have a main application where you need to read uh, certain data in certain contexts, but separately from that, you also have reports that you need to send to sales every month. Those might have totally different needs in terms of reads. Mm -hmm. And if you want, you can seed multiple read models. You can you can have multiple read models to Definitely. to optimize for those different concerns. Uh, I know, for example, I've had to deal with like Telerik reports and Donut applications where just the data model didn't fit. Either I was missing data and we'll get to missing data in a bit once we talk to event sourcing. Yes. Um, or you your data is just not quote unquote optimized for that use case because it was optimized for the application dev. Yeah. Um, so is that kind of what you're thinking as well? Yeah, definitely. And and for me, this is then the perfect thing, for example, talking about NoSQL uh, databases, for example. So a lot of times people don't want to put their data in there. Mongo something loses data and all this stuff. But if you have just a use case where you need something that is just document-based, your read model could also be a different database. Or mm -hmm. Elasticsearch with right. good full-text index on it. And this is just a, for example, for your documentation or something like this, you know. So this is just something that you can really separate and think of. Now we need this. Well, it's not a problem. We don't need to change our whole data model and our whole infrastructure around it. We just can implement a new read model. It could even be CS uh, CSV files, you know, if if, mm -hmm. if you have some system that reads from them, some some third-party thing. I don't know, you know. So you could just build read models for whatever use case you have. So wh when I think of event sourcing, I kind of think of it as an implementation of CQRS. It's, it's not a correct technically definition, but it, it kind of gives me... Event sourcing to me, it kind of demystifies how you do, how you have a model that is specific to commands. Um, mm -hmm. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to ask you what a command is, uh, just kind of dive into that a little bit more and then segue into what event sourcing is. And, you know, does that kind of order make sense to you or would you rather just start with events and mm, talk about those? No, we can, we can do this. I, right, I so, think. And so what's, what, what's a command? Let's say, yeah. let's say I have an e-commerce store, just a mm -hmm. typical e-commerce store that is shopping for shoes and I have 10, car I have 10 uh, products in my database. What's a command in that world? A, a command is... I don't want to say just a command is something that expresses the intent of the user uh, or of the system. So f of whatever is using our system. So it's, it's basically saying, do something, please do something. For example, uh, please add this to this user's cart. Yes. Or please um, finish this whole um, buying operation. So, so please um, just, send this, this, this whole request, this, this whole cart to, um, to, to, the, uh, to the system, and I want to order all the shoes now. Mm -hmm. So this, this could be a command, finish order, or add this to the cart, or remove this from the cart. So this, so this is just something that, um, it's just a message that we are sending to our system that expresses the intent of someone or something that wants to do something. Right. So these are user intentions codified in, let's say, an F-sharp record. So, for example, for when example. I would click a button that mm -hmm. says add to cart on 
I don't know, mm -hmm. let's say there's a UUID behind the button and I'm clicking mm -hmm. it and it sends something to over to an endpoint mm -hmm. or it's, you know, within my actual UI here using Elmish or something, we could have that button click as a as a record that just has a user ID field for who clicked the button mm -hmm. and for a what button did they click or what you what you uh product ID are they it was associated with that button. So if yep. I want to add one pair of Converse to my cart, I could have a command that in a record kind of holds the value of uh, this is the user's intent. It was yep. this user intended to add this product to their cart. Mm -hmm. So we, we it's, have it's this message, model. It's, it's a message with some payload. So yeah, it's, can... it's a message with some payload. Yeah. Okay. Basically, that's so, it. That's a command. So that's, that's a command. It's, it's a yep. user intent. So from... Yep. I guess we should talk about event sourcing at a high level, and then mm -hmm. we'll kind of talk in t about how and mm -hmm. a, a command becomes an event yeah. or, or what that flows like. So, so at a high level, what's event sourcing? So the idea in event sourcing is, first of all, that, that events in our system are something very important. And if I'm talking about events, I'm talking about domain events. So what does this mean, domain event? Because a lot of systems have like events in there you know .NET has an event system built into it mm -hmm. um, all the UI stuff is event based JavaScript is all event based <clears throat> so this one is a not a, a, a regular event but in a domain event and a domain event is something that happened in the past that is, that is relevant to the business so this is that is relevant within the domain or within the domain my application is trying to work with. So this is something that that conveys a lot of information about what happened in our system. And the the next thing if if we have this domain events is the idea that events are fundamental for business processes. So within a business process, or you can pretty much describe any kind of regular business process, not within a system, but within our business, within the domain of, of our users or of, of a company that wants to have a, co a computer system. So how they work, even on paper, you can describe pretty much everything with events because you can just say this happened, that happened, then something was ordered, then something was declined, and so on and so on. So right. this is something that, that these are pretty fundamental for our business processes. Right. And to, if to, we... Yeah? Sorry, uh, to me, event sourcing is is the, the... The central point is the not losing of deltas, is not losing the data of, of why data is changing. Yeah, but, but for me, what, what, I, what I'd say is that this notion is, is pretty... Um, deeply ingrained into this so and 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 the most important part is to 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 capture the intent of some someone doing something mm -hmm. and and if we if we accept this then we can say okay we need to model our application our business our domain with events and the next step then is and this is the only really new thing with event sourcing i guess um is that we don't store any state within our system, except for those events. Right. Because or we don't have to store, we don't have to store the data. We can, but we yes. don't have to. We can store the data, but, but the idea of event sourcing is that we don't need this. The only source of truth within our system is the events. 
So this is all that happened within our system. And this right. is the basic idea of event, um, event sourcing. And, and I, this is what you mean, I guess, with deltas. Um, but mm -hmm. I think I, I'm not really happy with the with the notion of deltas because I think deltas is a very sure technical it, miss, term. it misses the intent. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's just a a log of all the things that happened within our sister system right. and within our um, within our application or in our, in our business. And but the main point is that a lot of systems have have like audit logs and have logs and everything, but. The, the main point in event sourcing is that it's the single source of truth. So nothing else is the truth. All the, the current inf state of my business can be um, projected from those events. This is where, where, where everything resides in there. Right. All right, I'm, I'm going to hold on to that minute, the, yes. the source of truth thing. So that, I think that's important. So yes. in a normal you know, website application, you have, you know, your front end, you have your back end, and you have the big database, right? You have, yeah. we're not talking about microservices or anything like that. Let's just, you have a boring line of business mm -hmm. application. That's one big uh, behemoth. At that point, your source of truth is your Postgres or your SQL server, or your yes. whatever, NoSQL database. Yes. Let's say, uh, so your beginning state for that circumstance, for if I'm working with a shoe store online, mm -hmm is that you just have tables, but they're all, all empty tables. And when a user goes to add something to your cart, it magically appears inside of some specific tables and those yeah. those things get populated. What you're missing out on then, if, if you don't use event sourcing in my head, is you're, you're missing out on how did the data get to be where it is. Yes. And so and what why? we're doing Especially is... Why. Yeah, and why, yeah. And so what event sourcing is, is pulling a source of truth from your your read model which is your database your your you know SQL database or whatever mm -hmm. into a different kind of store into a different kind yeah. of quote unquote data store yeah where instead you would record the, those events that kind of Roman and I talked about before such mm -hmm. as user intending to add a, an item to their yeah. cart and then remove another one from your cart so yeah. if i in a normal application were to add something to my cart and then remove it from my cart, I would effectively lose the fact that it was ever in my cart. I could yep. do some fanciness like have my cart have an extra column that says used to exist or disabled or revoked yeah, or something like that. Something. But but it gets kind of hacky. So yep. instead, what if we just stored user added item to cart mm -hmm. and then user removed item from cart? Yep. And we we had all that data to work with and we just... Every time we want to use, every time we want to request the current cart, all we have to do is start from an initial state, which is an empty bag of events mm -hmm. or an, an, an empty model, and then we'll play those events on top of the bag of models. So, yes. for example, our model in this case is just a cart. Just uh, imagine it's an empty list, mm -hmm. and we do the add to cart event we apply that and that gives us a cart with one item and then we call the remove from cart and that gives us an empty list which is of course the exact same thing that the you know normal application would do a post a postgres kind of application but if we had a different application a different use case where we wanted to see 
hey, how long did it take for people to remove carts from the right, uh, yep. remove items from their cart after they added them? We have no clue. In, in a normal application, we have no way of answering that question. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I love about event sourcing is that we never lose data. Yep. If I want to report on something that happened four years ago and I just... I kind of lost that data because I never recorded it. That's a pretty sad state. I've had many reports that at the yep. title, they basically have a subtitle that says, this data valid from, you know, a date. Mm -hmm. And that date yeah, is whenever the devs push the code to develop to production. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and I think, so, so we don't have these destructive database actions, like mm -hmm. a delete or a truncate table, of course, are, are like destructive. But also an update is, is really destructive because if you have this shoe store that you were just talking about and you have a customer in there and then you have just this, um, you want to update the street of a customer. It's like mm -hmm. update customer set street equals blah, blah, blah street, Baker Street. So what then? Um, why, why did we update this? You know, Maybe it was just because it was wrong in our system. So I just changed this. But what if the customer moved? But what if the customer moved to something, to some place where we have a physical store? Maybe I want to send a voucher to him because of this. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have all this information if we just have update customer, set street, baker seat. But if we have two different kinds of events where we have like the, the message is the customer moved and the payload is that the street is Baker Street and the or another event, the address was corrected and the street is Baker Street. It has the same outcome in our database, but the intent is completely prevailed and we know why something happened in our system. And later on, we can check our system and see why something actually happened. And this is pretty nice and, and one of the big feats of event sourcing, I think. Let's say we have an F-sharp solution open and we, we've, we're creating an event sourced system. Let's say yep. we're creating that kind of e-commerce store. Can you talk through the code of, I'm going to just totally separate UI. Let's say UI is in JavaScript and it's kind of mm -hmm. in a different world and it sends me stuff. Mm -hmm. As an F-sharp developer, if I'm creating uh, a web application, I don't care if I'm using Saturn or Suave or whatever. Can you talk through endpoint down what the command looks like, how the command gets translated to an event, how that event gets stored into your event store, and then later how that gets projected out into read models that are used later? It's probably a few yeah. minutes of talking there. Yeah, we could, <laughs> we could do this. Um, the, the, or, or let's do this. But what is important here, this is just whatever I say now, it's just one possible thing. So this yep. is not how you should do this. This is just basically... There are many trade-offs for whatever you do. It always depends. So just there's a you know precondition for all this. So what I say is, if if you go all message space, so which means you have just messages floating around in your system, and you have things listening to those messages. Mm -hmm. I'd start with a command, and the command in this case is either a record or a discriminated union case. It has pros and cons. If it's a DU case. You have this exhaust and pattern matching in F-sharp now, for example. Whatever you choose doesn't really matter, so you have this one message. Let's just go for this example with the DU. Mm -hmm. So you have like 10 commands in your system, and one is item was added to the cart. Let's go with this one. Then we, we send this to our system, and then we, ha we would have something like a command handler, so a command bus, 
something that just reacts to commands mm -hmm. and that knows how to actually work with those. So then you have this command and let's say it's item added to cart. And in there you have a customer ID, which is some GUID, and you have the item. Let's just go with this um, as the ID. Mm -hmm. So this command handler of maybe you have a command router first that, that routes this some, to some smaller things. But in the end, we have a command handler that handles one specific command. And if we do this, then this command handler would ask the event store. So the event store is the store where we store huh, all of our events in a list. <laughs> so this is pretty important for event sourcing. The event store is just an append-only list of events that happened in our system. And they're and ordered. I that's a, ordered, that's a thing, right? very important. <laughs> yep. And in an ideal system, we've never, we are never going to touch this event store ever. Mm -hmm. This in production is not always the case, but yeah, in a general thing, we are not touching this. And then we would say, just ask the event store, however it is implemented, you could just start with a file where all the events are serialized in there, or a database, which you need, I think, when you have a bigger system, just says, okay, my this command is for this customer with this GUID, for example. And then it says, give me all the events for this customer. Then it replaces all these events and projects one state of the current customer or of the current basket. You need to really see how you, you cut your aggregates another mm -hmm. another concept in there but how you cut your things that are within one event stream so that you're not getting too many and how it makes sense within your domain but it gets all of them replaced then and then it has a current state in there and then it can just the the command handler can just say okay based on the current state and the command that is was coming in was the user actually allowed to do this so are there any constraints on this Maybe I can't put anything in my basket if I have more than 10 items in my basket. Maybe I can only put something in my basket if I am a registered customer or whatever. You know, the, these are the, the constraints that the business is giving mm -hmm. you. So this is what you need to understand then. And then it can decide. And let's say we just go for the happy path here. Everything is fine. So it says, yeah, this is perfectly fine. So what is the command handler is then doing um, would be to put an event onto the event store. So something like item was added to cart. We just have a new event that was added to our append only store. So this is very fast. We don't need to think about a lot of locking and denormalizing something. So this is a really optimized read model. Just append something to a list. Pretty much every system on the world can do this. Um, and so it's in there. And however... This is another thing which it depends. So in an object-oriented system, you would have like an object that gets replayed all the events and then the object is in the current state and it can decide and then the object can emit all the events that happened. What I did in my series is just the command handler can decide because it can just take all this, replay this and put this into the system. And then the event store will... And then the event store will actually throw this new, these new events, so a command could, could um, effect in, in like 10 events, definitely possible and not a problem, and it would broadcast these events into our system. Then we have something like event subscribers. 
And event subscribers can be pretty much everything that needs to listen to what is actually hap what has actually happened in the system. So the first thing that is happening is, for example, event subscribers that update a specific read model. So, mm -hmm. for example, the read model, the table, the document within my NoSQL database, whatever, that is updating the view for the current card. So it's ah, it's it's listening to this event. Ah, here we have this event. Um, just update this table with this new item. Perfectly possible. But there could also be three other uh, event subscribers that update different kind of read models. And then we have. Or could notify external yeah. parties, for example, yeah. send or off a send the mail event. to the customer or something like after right. the order was finished. You know, all these right. uh, possible event subscribers, and that's it pretty much. And one thing we need to think about is that most of the times, if we just have messages, we don't get direct responses. So because normally we 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 work in an asynchronous manner, so we don't get like I call a function or I call a method and I get the result immediately because we're not blocking in here. So most of the time. Sending a command is like fire and forget. So the user interface needs to somehow remember um, the current, like, where are we? And then an event can come in, like, remember a current transaction, for example. So give it a transaction ID on the front end. And then with the event, the system could say, this transaction was now completed, by the way. And so our user interface could then actually listen to this and say, here, everything is fine. Everything is good. You get your thumb up. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And then we have this. This is basically the way throughout the system. And then the user can just put queries onto our read model, for example, to a new query handler that knows which read model to ask for which query. And then it can just get all the information out of, this, uh, of these read models. Okay. So we have this big mechanism. We're not big mechanism. We have this mechanism to accept commands from mm -hmm. external thing. And that's basically intensive change. So for example, user removing an item from your cart. We have command handlers that are routed to that basically take those commands and say, okay, given this command and given our current state, our current state found by applying all the events in the past, basically folding them into whatever is mm -hmm. truth now, um, given that current state and given this event or given this command, should any events be output? In the mm -hmm. case of remove an uh, an item from your cart, uh, if you have an empty cart, that event that creating an event wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. There must have been some kind of UI problem, so we don't create mm -hmm. the event. But if we have a command that does successfully translate into one or more events, we append those onto I don't want to say queue, but a, a list of events, a, yep. a store of events, mm -hmm. and that event store holds them forever, mm -hmm. and may subsequently send messages to any listeners. So there may be more, one or more yes. listeners that want to be updated each time a new event happens. And so yes. what I can do is I can notify them of that, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So, so given those mechanisms that we need, there are frameworks out there to do that. I know Git Event Store is, is probably the biggest one I know of, although there's many. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I have hand-rolled event sourcing a few times, both in the client end and on back end. Right now, I actually, I'll talk about in a bit, I use event sourcing at my current gig mm -hmm. for an, an order system, actually pretty much the e-commerce example. 
So you can use hand-rolled event store systems or you can use frameworks. You have a video series where you kind of argue that to learn event sourcing, at the very least, you should roll your own, do DIY. Yes. Um, what I'd like to do is kind of talk through that, what it's like to roll your own event sourcing mechanism, mm -hmm. whether it makes sense to use that mechanism going forward for production code and kind of compare that against frameworks. Mm -hmm. All right, Do you so want to start with this? Or, or how yeah, sure. So, yeah, <laughs> so first question would be, um, you know, how would you kind of create that mechanism in F-sharp? I think you use mailbox processor and a bunch of other tools. Yeah. And then, and then from there, we'll, we can also open up to, okay, when should you use this versus frameworks? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe the, the first, the, the reason why I say this um, do it on your do it on your own. Um, it's for me that for me it is awesome, and I'm using this for six years now, and I really love it. But it has some shortcomings. It has some problems, and, and the biggest thing is you need to adopt your style of of developing on your style of thinking and your style of modeling your stuff. Uh, otherwise, it it won't work. And and the thing is why I say do it yourself in the beginning is definitely. Um, learning is cheap. Changing something in production is hard, and <laughs> all those all those frameworks they give you solutions pr for problems that you don't understand. Hmm. These are frameworks are written by people that that have a lot of experience with these kinds of systems, and they had problems, and they're trying to give solutions for them for those. Sometimes pretty generic solutions, because a lot of people need to use those those frameworks. And if you have never actually experienced the problems that can occur or the the whole mechanism of building such a system, it will lead you to to not very nice systems, I think. So this is my main motivation why I say just learn it. It's different, mm -hmm. but but try it on your own. So then you will encounter all those problems, or you will encounter all this hiccups that you that you will have and and all this stuff so this is my so my my basic idea so i'm not saying everything all the time build something on your own <laughs> but um just learn it having said this at the moment we are using everything built on our own in in c sharp actually in in, in our application now mm -hmm. the last thing i did was using a php library which is pretty cool and i, I did both actually so and if we are going to do this in F sharp, the, the I think you need to 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 think of what what you want to do. So do you want to like go fully message based, um, or do you want to like synchronously call functions and just store the events? So just use event sourcing as a as a storage mechanism because this is perfectly possible, and I think it's perfectly possible just to have a very simple and easy system where you just just forget about all the states, forget about databases, and you do, but you call normal functions, you don't do messages, nothing. But for your storage mechanism, you have event sourcing. Um, let's let's talk about that case. Let's talk about the simple just store your events. Yes. And then we'll kind of get into some mm -hmm. problems that I, yeah. I suspect might come up with that, and then we can counter those points. Um, okay. So if if you're actually just doing this then then it's I think it's pretty easy you you just need you just need some system so in F sharp we're talking not object oriented right right F sharp 
Okay. In F sharp, I, I just have a a function that is acting as a command handler. Um, or, yeah, you can just use it as a command handler and maybe have those commands in your system. Oh, we're not even doing this. Let's, let's do it differently. We, we're just calling functions. We're just calling functions. And these functions have a dependency, which is an event store. So basically this. And we're calling the functions. And so these functions are actually able just to get the current state out of the event store, do something, and uh, write something back into the event store. And mm -hmm. this event store is just serializing events with some JSON stuff, and you're writing this to a file. I'd say this is the very most basic thing you can actually do. When you are doing this, I still think then you need to think about concurrency. So mm -hmm. if you have multiple users working with this, so who is locking the file? Who can actually work with this at which point? And so I then I would think about doing something with some kind of queue where you can just have yeah, some messages put into the queue and this queue is guaranteeing that we're just working one by one so that we're not having any race conditions in there mm -hmm. and anything. So then you're not really talking about calling functions anymore. So then I think we are at something that is a commands, messages. But what you actually need then, or what I would always do then in F-Sharp is just use a mailbox processor because this is basically built for this. So it's a queue that is guaranteeing, or it's an actor that is guaranteeing me, me that it has a message queue in it and it will work on this message queue bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And then this, Mailbox processor is our event store, and internally it just writes to the file. From there on, you can go as complex as you like. <laughs> so, so, so we have we have these events stored. So yeah. in my in my case, I'm just going to keep it really simple. Add to cart, remove from cart. Add to cart, remove from cart. Yeah, we have all these different events in there, and we want to consume them. So we want. I, you know, as soon as I open the page back up again, I want to see my cart. Or if I open yep. up some UI widget, I want to see my cart. Yes. So t in doing that, I'm asking the event store, am I asking this mailbox processor, give mm -hmm. me the events that have played out so far? Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm basically saying, okay, what I care about right now is just the current state of the cart. So mm -hmm. I am playing playing those events out and then just returning the model. So yep. in a normal in a normal setting, what I'm doing there is I'm asking for all the events. So yep. the the worries that come up from that context or from that point of view are, okay, let's say my system's been up for, I don't know, a while, and I have 10 million events in my event store. Mm -hmm. Now what? Now what? Now you have, you have like built the perfect bridge back to CQRS because okay. um, it is, perfectly possible to do CQRS without event sourcing um, perfectly. You just have a write model, which is a, uh, a relational database, and you have some kind of notification mechanism that updates another database. So it's perfectly possible. It might be a bit cumbersome sometimes, but it's possible. I think it's not the other way around. Event sourcing without CQRS is really hard because of exactly what you have just said. You have like 2 million events, 10 million <laughs> events, Right. And you just want some information, so yeah, I just I just want the events that are relevant to the model that's going to be 
relevant to me. Yeah, but this is not not as easy sometimes because for doing something, most of the time you have some specific set of events that is allow that where I can say just give me the events of this one ID, and these are mm-hmm. maybe a hundred and or fifty, and these are not very hard to replay, and it's not taking a lot of time. So and then mm-hmm. based on this you can make a decision, but for viewing purposes you might want to aggregate a lot of information from mm-hmm. different aggregates, from different routes, from different places of your system. So it might not be enough to just get 50 or 100 events. Maybe you want to know how many items were sold in the last year. How do you do this? You need to take all of the events of the last year, filter them, and do this stuff. And this is not possible anymore. And this is where read models then come into play because you have this use case um, where you say, okay, I just want to have this information. Show me all sold items for the last year, whatever. And this is where read models come into play. So whenever an, an event occurs in my system, they are broadcasted to my system. I have an event listener, and it updates this specific read model. And then in my UI, I can just ask this read model, which is in the end maybe select star from orders and or select count or whatever, you know? So this is, and this is exactly where this comes into play then. Yeah, that, that's that's precisely what, what I do actually at my current work. So we have, like I mentioned, we have an order service. We're, we're microservice-based, and we have one of our microservices, which is orders. And that's an F-sharp service where we, we're basically using a Postgres database as a event store. We store mm-hmm. the events there, just one by one by one as they come in. We have a separate table also for some snapshots, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll get to a little bit later. And then separately from that, every time we fire off events into our event store, we have some listener that is waiting for these events and is populating a separate read model. And that mm-hmm. read model, right now, we just have one read model. It's a pretty typical, you know, normalized database. Mm-hmm. And that is used for, you know, supporting our actual applications. That's exactly mm-hmm. what, what I do right now. And that works mm-hmm. well. It's it's a hand-rolled solution. It's been in production for years. We're uh, happy yeah. with it. And that's and that's pretty nice then. And 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 this is the, the a really nice thing doing CQRS and event sourcing together is mm-hmm. you get a new use case. Doesn't matter what, because you never thought of I want to have this. Um, give me all the orders in the last ten years. Um, you never thought of this, or what Greg Young, the 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 guy who coined the term CQRS and all this, always has this this idea of you have this card. And now some business guy is coming to you and saying, I need some kind of report how long the items are in the cart before they are actually bought. So because we want to, to yeah. send out some vouchers or something. And I, but I really need to know because we have no clue. You can build this new report with a normal database, but how long does it take to give the new information to, your, uh, to the business guy? You, you just start now. So you, you have this new report, but you have no clue about the past. With mm-hmm. event sourcing, you have all the past stored. So you can just replay all the events that you have in your system, and you, you feed them into this new read model, into this new report, and you can give uh, new information pretty quickly. So right. this is you, don't have nice. to t- you don't have to touch your application database at all, yeah, definitely. Which, which is a great thing. We can just say, hey, we have this yeah. event store, uh, I don't care about that other read model. I'm just going to take all your events and I'm going to project yeah. to 
this one-off task. And yeah. I, I feel like the power of querying your events or playing off your events in a new way as a one-off task, that's a really powerful thing. Definitely. And, and if you say keeping it simple, we have a lot of in-memory read models. Of course, this has some trade-offs again, but what this means is we have we didn't really thought of um, some some data structure where we are storing this. We are not deploying a new database or whatever. It's just it's basic. It's, it's a lot of C sharp stuff in this in this case, but it's just objects so that we can query with with link or something pretty pretty quickly. You know, hmm. so we have a lot of read models. Then, of course, the trade-off is if you restart your server, all the events need to go through those in-memory read models. Yeah, they need to but, play out again. Yeah, but if you're just starting out, if you're just prototyping, a lot of people say it's not very easy to prototype with event sourcing because it's, it's so complicated hmm. and everything. But if, you have, if you're just starting out with a simple database with one table, and I think you have a database available, if not just use files, but if you use this and have, start with in-memory read models wherever you need them, Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a very simple way, an easy way to start out, to try it out, actually. I, I'm curious, when you say you're storing these read models in memory, are you talking about, like, literally just F-sharp objects yep. hanging around? Are you yep. talking about, so not Redis or anything like that? No, just literally, cool. like, as if you would create objects in your system. Cool. Of course, this has trade-offs, right? But you can just start right. with this and, and ask this, so it's not, not a big problem. Yeah, and um, even if I, I think people overestimate how big their applications are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, unless you have lots and lots and lots and lots of data, you can store your data in memory and you'll be yeah. fine. You're not Google. And and this is always the like each and every talk is it's it's always the first question is, but isn't this slow? You know? Because I have <laughs> yeah. like a million events and so and of course, if you put everything into one stream, it gets slow pretty fast. But normally yep. you don't do this. Normally you cut this into aggregates and you say this customer. And then you have like, what, a 50, 100 uh, um, events. How often do you have arrays and, and, and map over them that are bigger that, like this, you know, than, than this? So this is not a real problem. The important part is then, of course, you need to think about how to cut your events and um, how to actually work with those. Um, so that that they are actually useful. So this is important, and this is why also why I say just try it on your own with something that is not directly into production. See how this works out. You know, play around with it. But because you have the idea of you don't touch the event store anymore, and if you change the events a lot, then you need to think about versioning and la da 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 da. But these are topics that are coming a lot. And also snapshotting and all, do, don't I, you know, I need snapshotting and everything. But in my experience, most of the time for normal business applications, you will get to this point much, much later than you actually think mm -hmm. you are. But, so. but let's jump ahead. So let, let's say I am at that point. Let's say yeah. I'm at the point where in-memory read models will not do. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the point where some people will transition to more of a framework approach they'll, they'll start to see some quote-unquote problems with event source can you talk about what what do you the people that are naysayers about event sourcing what are the problems that they see and which of those can be resolved by frameworks and what frameworks exist in the f sharp.net uh kind of ecosystem 
So let's first start with the problems. What problems, quote unquote, exist with event sourcing besides legend slowness? You need to think about asynchronous stuff much more if you go full-blown CQRS event sourcing and work with messages. And I think it's not so easy to build a really high-performant uh, message-based system without any experience. But this is true for like pretty much everything you have never done. But I think you really need to think about the, this stuff. I don't know if it will be ever... No, I think it's not a solvable problem, but eventual consistency is something that comes up a lot. So eventual consistency means if I'm doing something in, in one data model, I update my database, and if I read it a millisecond later, the data is already there. And you don't have this when you're message-based. If you have event subscribers, listeners that update different tables, it can be that something is like 10 seconds, which, is, which would be pretty long, but half a second later. And this is some, mm -hmm. a, a thing a lot of people have problems with. But I think our whole world is eventual consistent. So if I send a letter, if I call somewhere until I get the message, it always takes some time. Nothing is really an instant. Just we are used to this with this one data model. And I think this no framework will ever be able to solve this problem. I think this mm -hmm. is just um, how it is. The slowness thing, the, the asynchronous thing, Maybe thinking about versioning are, are things a lot of people have problems with. And also this, yeah, if I'm just doing CRUD-based, I can move a lot faster. Um, so they, they are afraid to be stuck with the old stuff. Right. I'd like to talk about eventual consistency for another minute. Let, let's say you have an application that has a separate read model and, and event store. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's that exact application where it's, um, you know, you have a, a JavaScript UI. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I just want to note for those that are curious, okay, well, what happens when you click on the button? If you're eventually consistent, I guess, I guess you can do one of two things. Either one, so the, prop, the, the question is, you know, how do you handle the eventual consistency given the fact that when you click the button, it might take a second until the, the read model has mm -hmm. the new cart. So I guess you can do one of two things, right? You can either A have the front end assume it went well. So optimistic uh, UI. Yeah, be, be very optimistic mm -hmm. and, and just say, okay, I'm going to change the UI to add that to my cart. Or you can, wh wh what's the alternative there? Is it is it have some kind of signal or a ping me when the read model is done? Or how do I resolve that eventual consistent concern, eventual yeah, consistent I think concern these, these are... if I'm more pessimistic? You have three possibilities. The first one you just said, have an optimistic UI. Or either let let some notification, yeah, notify yeah, me. Yeah, upon two hundred or yeah, something. Yeah, or just just reload the page at some point mm. and hope that the the information is there. I think. Yeah, I don't yeah. Like that. Most of the time, <laughs> I, so most of the time it will be pretty fast, so you don't really uh, recognize this. Mm. I think it's it's more interesting from a business point of view, and so what can actually happen? So I. Let's say I click on the order button, but because of the eventual consistency, the item was already sold out, mm -hmm. even after I, I ordered, you know? And, and again, this is something that happens in real life anyway. You know, someone is going to a shop, he wants this, it's just not there anymore. But when he was looking at the window, it was there, but in the two minutes he went in, it was just sold out. 
I think this is then a perfect opportunity to talk to your business, to understand what you're actually doing and to say, what should happen then? They ordered something, they were expecting this. What are we doing now? Because my event store is the single source of truth, not my read models. So when I send the command order now, the system will catch that it's not available anymore. But because right. this is consistent, this needs to be consistent, this is important. So now what we can do, not throw an exception, but emit another event which said oh, it was um, already sold out. Mm-hmm. And then we can have another listener and some person can, for example, be in, um, notified. And then what, what can we do? Send this, um, this person a voucher, uh, talk to them, say, send a I'm so sorry mail, whatever. But this is something that is important to the business and this right. is something you need to talk about anyway. Yeah, having, having control of your real-life domain exceptions is a yeah. really powerful thing. Like, yeah. exactly, like where if, um, if, if I'm out of a certain pair of shoes and you try to add it to your car and yeah. let's say the UI was never programmed to disable or something like that, yeah. we, we could mail you. We could we could record an event in our event store. Yes. User tried to add shoes, but shoes weren't there. Oh, so, yeah. oh, so sad. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something we can use in the future. We can report yeah. on how many how many times or how much money we could have had mm-hmm. if we had those shoes in stock. Yeah. We wouldn't have opportunity for that report otherwise. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Yeah, so jump. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's pretty important because it's, it's a big problem for, for a lot of people when, when you're not just not used to this. For the whole message thing, I think there are a lot of things out there. There is something like for .NET, we have the end service bus by Udi Dahan, which is a nice thing taking care of a lot of problems with lost messages and all this stuff. We have the whole ACA.net, so the whole actor model available. So if you really want to go into this, then I think there is a lot of stuff available. But this stuff is available for parts of your application. And I think this is really nice. So when I was doing this PHP stuff with the proof components, there were also proof, like... Proof is the framework in PHP, right? Yeah, but it's just, it's not a framework. It's a set of components doing some parts of event sourcing. So you will never really find, in my opinion, a really awesome event sourced framework that is doing everything for you. You will something maybe have that has is able to extend your objects from and then the base classes are actually used to replay the events and to send them to the command uh, to the event store and all this stuff so this is one part and then you have something that takes care of the messages and then you have for example something that is really good in 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 storing the events this is where event store by greg young comes into so get event stories is the name mm-hmm. um, or the domain comes into play and also how do i query the, my event store is there any tooling for this this is where, for example, Get Event Store is, is really good or be, is becoming really good at. And in my first talk, I, I mentioned them like in the framework section. And afterwards, one of the guys from the uh, from this company who was also at the company came to me and was like, man, you're really unfair to us because we're not a framework for event sourcing. We're just a <laughs> database and taking care of this stuff, you know. And and also we have this projection mechanism. and But... But still there, I, I told him, yeah, I talked to people and, and, and they, they have a special ability to somehow emit new events from projections. I, I haven't really got into this, how, how this works, but they have something like this. And I talked to a customer and they were using this and they went in kind of an uh, infinite loop 
because they emitted events from projection that the projection was listening to that emitted events and hmm. something like this. And so it's again, it's it's the same thing. They had a pr they had a solution for something they didn't understand, which was in the end much easier after they rewrote everything still with event store, but after they understood the problem. Mm -hmm. um, but what I think with event sourcing is really nice. You can start slow, start very simple, and then mix and match different parts of the event store ar or event sourced secrets architecture and and put some new stuff into this. What you can't do, and this is important, and this is where a lot of people are afraid of, you can't really change your old events. You can do like upgrading the events. You can do, but if you were like, and it's not a problem if there is one or more properties you just forgot to put into the payload of the events and all this stuff. But if you were completely wrong, it's hard, <laughs> you know, to 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 change everything. Mm then you really need to think of how how to go on from there and this is kind of my my rant i also had in the videos with event sourcing a lot of people were asking me okay i have this um update user create user and delete user um now i want to make event source systems so it's like update user a user was updated user was deleted user was created so it was still cruddy but mm. with events but in there, there is no intent. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get this. So we really need to think of this in this domain-driven design way of thinking, understanding the business, becoming a business expert. And this is where a lot of people are afraid of. But I think that this is very important, understanding what should happen because an event should take the, the intention. So what was intended within the business? And in my series, I'm doing a truck, an ice cream truck. Can an ice cream truck really be deleted in your domain? <laughs> how how is this actually possible? <laughs> you know what what should happen to delete it uh, or to to create it? Do do I really like build it from scratch with all the screws in there? No, I don't think I will do this. So really, ask yourself what is actually happening. Maybe I got a new track. It's not created. It was maybe inflated. What does this mean if I have inflated uh, a truck into my into my whole fleet? Do I can can I do anything else based on this? You know, mm. do I really need to understand the business better? And I think event sourcing without doing this, it can be hard. And 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 then a lot of people say, yeah, but I'm not just doing CRUD and it's so simple. But if you start to ask questions, it's never so simple. And I think it's always worse just to ask one or two more questions, understand why, and then you can do event sourcing perfectly. I think. Great. Uh, so last thing I want to talk about specific to event sourcing before we kind of close up is about testing and about yeah. how powerful event sourcing is for mm -hmm. testing use case. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yes, testing. It, it's important, of course, and it's, it can be nicely done in an event source system, I guess, because a lot of times when we talk about testing and especially when we talk with people that are really against um, having a lot of testing or having a lot of unit tests or a lot of TDD, test-driven design stuff and, on, and all this. I think it's because a lot of people, uh, sorry, a lot of systems are really hard to test like inherently. And then you need to think of setting up mocks and setting up like test objects that are actually able to have some 
state ingrained in there and when I do something I need to check if the 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 um, right thing is actually comes is coming out of this and with event sourcing I think a big part of this is becoming very easy because what you normally have in tests is like you have a precondition you have an action and you have a post condition and in in this BDD style testing behavior driven design you have this given when then given some precondition when I do some action then I expect this post condition and with event sourcing the really nice thing is that you the precondition is the state in your system so what is the state in your system in an event source system well it's just some events so you can just write a test that looks like given I have this list of 10 events when I do this action then I expect this action so mm -hmm. in my uh, sorry then I expect this list of event as an outcome and that's it so you don't really need to set up anything you have pretty easy um, kind of integration tests or maybe a bit lower in the level um, but you can just ask your command handler or your behavior of your system however you encode it I give you these 10 events when I say do something I expect this these events as an outcome so in my mm -hmm. system I said something like you take the ice cream truck again and you say okay given I have restocked my ice creams with five portions of vanilla when I sell a vanilla I expect so I have like the event um, truck restocked with vanilla portions right. five um, when I send the command sell vanilla I expect the event vanilla sold if I but if I say okay when I have like restocked my truck with vanilla five and then I already have five sold vanillas and then I sell again try to sell again another vanilla I expect vanilla was empty or something like this mm -hmm. so another you event test, this, you yeah. can test both projections of the events and you can also test whether the commands what what yeah events come out of the commands in the command yeah, handler. Definitely. And this, you can this test becomes, both of those seams very yeah, well. This becomes pretty easy. And then you can just talk. And this is actually, again, pretty nice if you use F-sharp because it's just a nice... If, if you write, you, you can write pretty nice and easy DSLs on this. And so we have tests hmm. that really looks like given a list of events. So and hmm. our, we are German-based and it's for hospital stuff. So our events are also German. Then And hmm. then given these five events, when I do something, then I expect these two outcomes as events. And then you can actually talk to your business and say, is this right? And um, they can actually read it, you know, because right. it's just, when does, if this is happening, or if this was happening, if I want to do something, then expect this outcome. And this is really right. easy and really powerful, I think. Yeah, and you can use that for testing new read models. So if I, let's say I'm trying to support a report database, Mm -hmm. I could effectively, you could theoretically write tests that of the existing kinds this. of events yeah. to project to what your reporting database would need yeah. to see, hey, is this getting the data that I want? So yeah, definitely. Before you do anything, before mm -hmm. you write any data, you can you can get to test really quickly. So yeah, yeah definitely. I love that. Yeah, I'm curious. So your your DSL around testing and playing events is that public, or do you have any kind of documentation of that? 
not that like the one that we have in production, but there is, I mean, this, this whole series, this whole video series is now almost two hours and mm -hmm. in there, there are tests and it's, they are written with um, Expecto and you can read those pretty easily. So you can put those in the show notes. So it's, it's just a given when then and you can, I think you can read this very easily and fluidly. Very cool. So are there any other resources, a great overview of event sourcing, but people that are interested might want to go and research some more. Um, I will certainly list your uh, YouTube channel, The Dev Owl, yes. and your uh, video series on event sourcing DIY. Are there any other resources you want to point out regards to all the things we talked about today? I can pretty much recommend, uh, especially the old talks of Greg Young, Yep. Um, yeah, 2014 Code on the Beach yes, event definitely. sourcing talks. That's my one favorite of the talk ones of all time. Where he is really, really enthusiastic about this. There's also some workshop where he's talking a bit longer. The sound is really bad, but he's really hmm. into this. And he, he, he was coining this whole CQRS thing. And I really recommend those, those um, talks of him. They are, they are really good in, in explaining the whole event sourcing. Mm -hmm. uh, thing that I think, and from there on, I think you can just, if you have watched the talks and maybe watched my stuff, I think there is a lot of um, stuff you can find on YouTube and a, a lot of blog posts and and everything. Let let me just check if I have something. If you're really serious about CQRS and event sourcing, you should be serious about CQ uh, about domain driven design as well, because mm -hmm. you're missing out a lot. And it, it helps you tremendously. And there, I, I have a couple of things I, I'm always recommending. As a book, especially for F-sharp people, Scott Vlashin's Domain Modeling Made Functional is, is just an exceptional book, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, in general, for me, the best short introduction to domain-driven design that is on the market. And for F-sharp people, it's just a perfect fit. I can just wholeheartedly recommend this book. And then there is Scott Millett's and Nick Tune's Pattern and Principles um, of Domain-Driven Design, which is also very good. Of course, there is Eric Evans' book, which started this whole thing, Domain-Driven Design, Bounded Context, etc. It's a really good book, but it's really hard to read, and it's pretty old it now, and I think a lot of people... Yeah, if you're starting out, it's very hard. So yeah, I, think, I, I couldn't get through it. Yeah, definitely. And, and the most important part starts in chapter 13. So he starts with all the technical stuff, but what is important about bounded context and all this stuff, is, it's, it's really from ch um, chapter 13 on. And, and so this book of Scott Millett and Nick Tune really starts the other way around much better, and especially Scott Vloshin's book as well. If you want to have a look at a talk I really recommend there, is, it's from Marco Heimersov, who's a good friend of mine, and the guy who actually um, took me to this other company. It's called Software development is not about software. And hmm. this is a really nice overview why we should care about this whole domain-driven design thing. From there on, if you're Europe-based, I can really recommend the Kandinsky conference. It's Kandinsky, the, the um, arts guy, but with triple D for domain-driven design. Hmm. It's in October in Berlin. I'm also giving a talk there about um, F-sharp and maybes and options and if it's good for domain modeling or not. But it's a really good conference and there will be um, introductory talks to event sourcing CQRS as well. 
And if you're US-based, I'd recommend the Explore DDD conference in Denver in September. So this is what hmm. I can recommend to go into all of this. But if you just want to go for a CQS event sourcing, go for Greg's talks. I think they're just right. great. Cool. And my right, videos, well, how, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, how can my listeners get in touch with you? Yes, yeah, so I'm on Twitter, which is um, Romsen. So it's an R and then a zero because it was, yeah, you know, when you're starting with Take Twitter it. a couple <laughs> of years ago, it, it wasn't really important and and the normal Romsen was gone. So it's um, double M-S-E-N. And I'm GitHub, I'm Romsen as well. We can link this. There you mm -hmm. can also find the companion repository for my video series. So you can go to YouTube and go to the Dev Owl, which I am. And I'm doing there a lot of F-sharp stuff. I'm started now with Zaid Ajaj, um, who is might be pretty well known in the F-sharp, especially yeah. stable community for like a million open source projects. <laughs> we, we've just started doing live streams together, which works pretty well for us, all Fable and Elmish related. Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of F-sharp stuff, like the next thing will be some series about async. And I hope to finish this Secures event sourcing do-it-yourself series, but it's so much work. And um, <laughs> yes, now that we're getting into more complicated stuff it's really hard to keep it like short and educational so but i hope to finish this at some point all right it was, it was a pleasure talking thank you very much yeah definitely bye bye and thank you it was really nice being here thanks for having me